0: Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He, of course, is Isaac Fitzgerald. It
1: is Thursday, and you are watching AM to DM. Let's start with this tweet from Brian Stelter. This is going to be a tough week. BuzzFeed News Editor-in-Chief Ben Smith wrote to staffers last night. BuzzFeed News will be affected by layoffs like the rest of the company. Details still to come. Laura Nelson connected
0: the dots. Uh, so much grim news media today. Uh, BuzzFeed is laying off 15% of its staff. Gannett layoffs across the country. Verizon Media, which includes HuffPo
1: and Yahoo News, is also expected to have layoffs this week. Yeah, listen, it was a tough and rough day. Day and it continues, of course, to be. Uh, I think a lot of people were expecting this. We had seen layoffs at other digital media companies at the end of last year, going into this year. It is now hitting these companies, BuzzFeed, of which is included, which is really tough. The other thing that's really tough is that the numbers have been announced, but other than that, there's no other information. And part of what's really scary about this is the not knowing. The not knowing, yeah. We, you
0: know, um, 15% of BuzzFeed employees. That is 200 people. Uh, when I started working here in January of 2013, uh, BuzzFeed had less than 150 staffers globally. So to know the number 200, you know, I'm, I'm just, I just, I picture walking into the newsroom, uh, you know, when I did for my interview, you know, and no one being there. Back so, when
1: BuzzFeed was all just in one room. Yeah, and we have both
0: have worked in different parts of the company throughout our time here. So our hearts go out to our coworkers and it sucks um, not knowing uh how it's going to impact and who, you know, until next week. Beyond that, um, and I think Lauren Nelson's tweet uh really eloquently makes this point, it's not just Buzzfeed, frankly. I wish it was the story of just one company having bad news, because that would mean all those great people could go find jobs elsewhere in a vibrant industry. But we don't have a vibrant industry right now. And so my concern is that this isn't just bad news for us or the other companies mentioned, that it's just going to be a rough 2019 in digital media, period. Absolutely. I mean, on top of that, this disproportionately impacts women and people of color, often when they are layoffs, first in, first out. And so all those companies who only three years ago decided to, hey, maybe we'll hire some black and brown people. Maybe we'll have women as editors. Those are the people who often are shown the door first. So
1: Yeah, and there's a study about this. Ooh. I know I think you read Harvard Business Review. You retweeted yeah. it this morning. Tweeted it this morning. Absolutely. Because that is, it's a, it's a scary time to be in this business 100%. You also tweeted last night, though, that we We were going to have the show today, and we are going to have the show, and this is of course a story that we are going to continue to follow, because that's what we do, and this is going to be a big story of 2019.
0: Absolutely. If it's on the timeline, it's going to be on the show. Absolutely. So for now, uh, we want to leave it with this tweet from our coworker, Sara Yassin, which sums up how a lot of people in digital media feel. Certainly in this building, I have always dreamt of stopping in the middle of the sidewalk and yelling. Fuck!
1: (laughs) And a lot of people got to experience that dream, ourselves included. What
0: dreams may come. Night. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, to that point, many uh, blame Google and Facebook for these struggles in digital media. Here's a tweet about this uh, from BuzzFeed News tech reporter Ryan Mack. Uh, I'm at a Davos event with Sheryl Sandberg. She was just introduced as a person who has figured out how to make money off of people's data. And the crowd
1: laughed. Yeah, Ryan described that event as feeling like he was at Rich White People Fight Club. And he joins us now from the Swiss Alps. Good morning, Ryan.
2: Hey guys, I'm from Davos.
1: Really appreciate you joining us from all the way from Davos. So how did that Sheryl Sandberg event go? And at one moment you tweeted, I think her PR people just pooped themselves?
2: Um, It was an interesting event. It was uh, a, on-the-record discussion with DeWelt, which is a, a German newspaper um, who had a kind of uh, sympathetic interviewer up there. Um, that other tweet you just mentioned, uh, I think she tried to go off the cuff with with an example of hers. She's very kind of buttoned up, very well-prepared for everything. Um, and as you've seen when Facebook executives go off the cuff, like with Mark Zuckerberg, uh, it's talking about Nazis, for example, it doesn't usually end well. So um, she kind of caught herself in that, in that moment, but... Uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people uh, didn't like
0: that. Yeah, I, I saw your live tweet of the conversation and was pretty stunned. Here's my question. Given everything that's going on, not just in digital media, but with people's privacy, which, uh, you know, Facebook is like week after week after week of new revelations, what exactly did Sheryl Sandberg kind of have to say to all of these, you know, world leaders and billionaires yesterday? What was the case she was trying to make? Uh,
2: I think it was more of it, it, it's a continuation of this apology that she's been on, I mean, uh, since I think last March, um, the company has been trying to kind of clean up its mess, uh, try to say its story, um, and try to, I guess, explain its business model better. Um, and say that, for example, there's this line that everyone believes that Facebook sells its data. It's more nuanced, or sells your data. It's more nuanced than that. Um, and it's a lot of kind of uh, cleaning up their image in a way. And so that's what yesterday was. Um, there was uh, an event with that German newspaper, and then she also had an off-the-record event with um, with reporters, um, as well as kind of meetings with world leaders at the at the conference center. Well, aside from an
1: apology cho- tour from Cheryl Sandberg, and I'm sorry, you could say sorry a little bit louder, Sheryl. Um, what are some <laughs> of the other
2: big topics that are being discussed at Davos? You know, it's it's like a buzzword salad here. I mean, there's blockchain, there's AI. Um, there's a, like Mark Benioff, who wants to talk about a lot about the environment. Um, so there's those kinds of discussions happening. Um, at the same time, there's a, a a pretty large fear about populism. There's been discussions about populism. Bolsonaro spoke um, on Tuesday. Um, there's also been um, a little bit of discussion about inequality. I think that's kind of been off, off the radar a little bit, but kind of just large general topics that, that have been discussed for the last four days. Okay, great. God, Bolsonaro speaking at Davos. Anyway,
0: uh, I wanted to read this tweet from Jeff Crisp um, quoting a Guardian article titled, Panic is on the agenda at Davos, and it made me scream, and then I showed it to Isaac, and then he screamed. Here's why we were screaming. Um, At Davos, a couple of years ago, the New York Times reported that among the summit's attractions was a simulation of a refugee's experience, where attendees crawl on their hands and knees and pretend to flee from advancing armies. Uh, The the article <laughs> said it is one of the most popular events, and again, for people who perhaps don't know about the Davos Summit, it takes place in the Swiss Alps, as Isaac mentioned, and it's like world leaders and billionaires. It is literally like the good old boys' diamond bling club. So Ryan, what else are you seeing this year in terms of truly horrifying rich people shit?
2: It's funny. That, that event you just mentioned, it's called the Day in the Life of, the Ref- uh, of a Refugee. It's actually still happening this year. I guess they make, I haven't done it yet, but I guess it sounds like a kind of Disneyland ride for rich people who want to have an awful experience. Um, There's been that. Um, I mean, you see the general kind of parties and and the amount of money being spent here. Um, There was a $43 hot dog that's being talked about at one of the hotels. Um, Everyone just kind of seems uptight as well. (laughs) And, uh, uh, but yeah, it's it's, uh, kind of a scene.
1: Everybody's a little uptight. Everybody's a little stressed out. Everybody's eating $43 hot dogs. Uh, I want to look for the silver lining. It's what I try to do, Ryan. Can you tell me a little bit? I saw you tweeting about a young activist named Greta. What is Greta doing at Davos?
2: So, Greta's a 16 year old uh, Swedish uh, student who uh, started uh, a kind of movement by not going to school on Fridays to bring attention to climate change. Uh, She also has Asperger's um, and um, has kind of found this kind of Will to speak uh, in front of large rooms. And so that's kind of built her a large following. I actually just saw her speak at lunch today in front of uh, Mark Benioff, Will I Am was in the crowd, Bono, Jane Goodall, um, Gary Cohn uh, from the Trump administration, former Trump administration official. And she basically said, Look, uh, climate change right now, it's all your fault. A lot of the people in this room, it's your responsibility. You guys screwed this up. Um, and that's kind of refreshing here. I, I think that's why she's kind of got this, this kind of following among, among young people here. All right, well, I'm glad that Greta is out there
1: fighting the good fight. Thank you so much also for all your reporting, Ryan, of course. Okay,
0: and uh, thank you, Ryan. Uh, we have a tweet here from Mousy Core who said, oh my God, can we start eating the rich now? I have hot sauce and Mousy Core we read your mind. Let's take it <laughs> to the timeline. Friends, in honor of the Davos Summit, what side dish will you order when we eat the rich? Let us know using the hashtag AM2MarxistHannibalLecter.
1: Just a little Keontae. Just a little Keontae. Well, listen, here's an interesting update on the Atlantic's Brian Singer story from yesterday, which was such a bombshell. The Daily Beast tweeted The journalists behind an explosive Atlantic story detailing sexual misconduct allegations against Hollywood director Brian Singer have accused Hearst executives of killing their piece when it was about to run in Esquire. Ooh. And now, this is, listen, this is a thing. I had heard this rumor. Yeah. I had heard that there was a story at Esquire that was related to allegations against Brian Singer that people were sitting on. I heard this rumor um, that's not been proven true when, yeah, I was on winter
0: break. And I came this close, y'all, this close, to trolling Esquire on Twitter. Like, when are you going to publish this story? Well, friends, attorney Adrian Lawrence joins us now from Los Angeles to talk about how this happens. Adrian, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for joining us. Here's something you tweeted. Hearst executives killed the story likely as a favor to another powerful person. This happens often when a story involves credible allegations of sexual misconduct. Um, Listen, from Harvey Weinstein to R. Kelly, and I I saw you were tweeting and speaking so eloquently about that very recently. And now, Brian Singer, tell us more about this phenomenon.
3: Well, we've seen it in a lot of cases from allegations, at least, that CBS 60 Minutes executive Jeff Bader had hired a prominent law firm to silence stories on Charlie Rose. NBC has been accused of silencing stories on Russell Simmons, Harvey Weinstein. The National Enquirer admitted to pretty much killing stories about Trump. It's one of those things where there's a lot of money in play with big ticket people, and they prefer that those allegations not come out knowing that it's going to hit their bottom line. And a lot of these companies are, it's pretty incestuous, as we know, when it comes to media and corporate holdings. And it's all about not messing up the money as opposed to addressing the issue and
1: actually getting rid of the misconduct. Getting rid of the, yeah, it's all about that kind of bottom line. Um, listen, I can be a little bit of an optimist sometimes. We're over a year out from the Harvey Weinstein allegations and, and, and that kind of hitting the timeline. The Me Too movement. I was hoping for a change. It felt like there was a change. Are you surprised as a lawyer to see so many stories like this still being covered up?
3: Absolutely not. Uh, It's a matter of when the power have control, the powerful have control, they want to remain in power. And so they do favors for one another to shut down stories and kill allegations because it really helps a lot at the end of the day. And in this case with Brian Singer, we don't necessarily know the exact reasons why, but when you look at the situation here with Bohemian Rock City being Set up to be nominated for a number of things. And we now know that it was it won Golden Globes and also nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. That's a lot of money that is involved there. Best picture winners, they can make us up to about $30 million after being nominated, and then $18 million after the win. And also analysts show that just being nominated alone after a nomination, you can get 20 million more in sales and Another $4 million after the award show, even if you don't win. And those stats, that's according to IBIS World Analysis. And they've looked at this in terms of Oscar winning, tallying to a lot of money. And we see a lot of companies, and production companies in particular, investing considerable amounts of money in getting their films up to be nominated. And so there's been a lot of investment in Bohemian Rhapsody without question. Also, we know Brian Singer, he's still up to direct another film, which interestingly enough has a female lead at Red Sonia. And it's one of those things of the system is not going to change as long as the powerful continue to do favors or you know, overlook misconduct in order to fill their coffers.
0: Yeah, uh, thank you. You're speaking so eloquently and powerfully. I guess, Adrian, let's let's take it here. Then what do we do? You know, like, as I mentioned, as we were introducing you, I, Isaac and I both heard rumors that, where's this Esquire story? It's supposed to come. Is it going to see the light of day? You know, certainly, and, and a survivor is quoted in the story as saying, you know, the industry is just going to sweep this under the rug. So what can we do when even in 2019, even for, you know, all the progress or what? whatever we want to call, it's been made with Me Too. Stories are still in jeopardy of being killed. Do we have any options or solutions?
3: Uh, It's a really complicated one because this is the First Amendment and there's a reason that, you know, freedom of press, that that was the First Amendment because it's the most important. And so it really goes down to the people pushing for the media to be better and to have some kind of check or regulation because the FCC does not regulate newspaper and press. And there's a really kind of an issue with a lot of these corporations in the incestuous relationship and silencing stories and keeping the wealthy wealthy and keeping misconduct concealed. And so it's really on the people to push Congress to make change, also to take the necessary boycotts. Uh, and something we should consider, given your situation at BuzzFeed, is, you know, these writers and reporters, they work hard months and months of getting this information to share with the world to show what's going on, and they don't get paid a lot. And so to have a story killed at the end of the day, it's really just hurting the people and continuing to allow powerful people to continue to hurt the people. So at the end of the day, it is up to the people to, if they need to make boycotts, if they need to call Congress, if they need to do what they need to do, that needs to get done in order for things like this To stop happening and for us to get the information that our founding fathers had intended for us to receive in making the freedom of press that First Amendment right.
1: I just got to ask just real quick, what kind of lawyer are you? Who do you like? I just, uh, I got some warrants uh, in Utah that uh, just, you know, small stuff, small stuff, shop, just like what kind of representation do you do?
3: Uh, Let's see, I largely do legal analysis now. Uh, Before, it was a lot of business litigation as well as criminal law. Um, I very, very much love the law and just the rights for the people. Well,
1: Well, if you ever need a client. Yeah.
3: and, (laughs) And
0: until his new trial, I guess, that's coming up, we would love to have you back on the show. Adrian. thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you. What the hell you got? That was amazing.
1: You we, we can talk you about it between the break, but that was incredible. All right,
0: it well, was. She's brilliant. Well, for now, let's, I got some questions for you during the break. <laughs> for now, let's leave it with this tweet from uh, The Daily Beast. Brian Singer's claim of homophobia is as offensive as Kevin Spacey's weird coming out in regards to his own allegations. Both men are using homosexuality to deflect Questions around alleged abuse, and that cannot be underscored enough. It, it to weaponize the closet, to weaponize the shame and the ongoing toxos, toxis, uh, toxicity that many people still are struggling to overcome with, to shield yourself from accountability um, is is it's just a really cruel. Thing to do.
1: And the fact that it's becoming a repeated behavior is just so terrible to see. Yeah. But listen, we've got a great show for you today. Said sits down with Ryan Eggold from the Oscar-nominated movie Black Klansman. And I'm sitting down with Alicia Reiner, Roa from Orange is the New Black. She's super mean, so yeah. I'm super nervous. And you just admitted you have warrants out. So I'm, I'm very super scared. Super excited. It's not going to be fun. <laughs>
0: Welcome back, Uh, Ether Rich, burn down capitalism. Let's get into these fire tweets. Amen. This one comes from Todd. (laughs) If Bill Street could talk, it would say, Bohemian Rhapsody? Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I know. I know if Bill Street could talk, it's been yeah, you know, beautiful cinematic. No, I was like, nah, this is fucked up.
1: This is fucked up. When y'all. I saw that tweet last night, it made me. Laugh. I just love when people capture sad moments and just turn it into a beautiful joke for Twitter. That is just accurate. It is accurate. I loved it very much. All right, here we go. MacGyver tweeted after leaving Willy Wonka's factory. Me, wife. Me, wife. Me, lot of. Deaths for a tour, why, a lot of deaths for a tour. A lot of deaths for a tour. There were a lot of deaths That's on that true. tour. That's true, a lot of kids had you to You don't act. want to go through a candy place where people are dying. I think, do you want to explain what
0: had to happen this morning? I, I, I think I had to act this tweet out for me for me to understand the joke. He was like, what well, happened? But you've seen it at least, right? Of course, I love Willy Wonka. I've okay. seen all the versions, but I was just like, I... Things don't end I well for those them. kids. They ain't at a farm upstate. I also think Violet Beauregard would have made a good CEO. Anyway, there's a whole (laughs) thing. Coffee Bay (laughs) tweeted, Ariana Grande has a song on her album called Break Up With Your Girlfriend. I'm bored. And I think we know who that's about. And I'll tell you who it's about. All the gays. She's given us a new gay anthem. I am so excited, <laughs> honey. Break up with your boyfriend, I'm girl. It's like a call your girlfriend for you know just, for the new generation. Just so sending
1: that moment. to everybody. Trying to. I'm telling you, my. I, I said this a long time ago on the show. Ariana just wants. She's not gonna stop until everyone's broken up. And, and that theory stands. Yeah. Here's the thing. The reaction to this tweet. Nobody actually does know because there be there are people in the mentions oh, yeah. just like really detective. Shh, shh, shh. Is it Pete? Is it and Sean? It,
0: and it's like I, I'm grateful for so much Ariana. First of all. Thank you for your BuzzFeed quiz. Um, as one of our co-workers tweeted, buy us, you know, if, if the spirit moves you. I'm sure you got some coins, those seven rings laying around. But also, thank you for your album coming out, I think on February 8th, right before mm. Valentine's Day. Mm. Do you know what else happens February 8th? What? That's
1: my birthday. You didn't know that shit. Shit!
4: Shit! Yes! Best friend <laughs>
1: fight! I win! Duff tweeted, practice self-care like a mummy. Wrap your body tightly with a blanket and curse anyone who tries to find you. That's what I'm going to be doing on my birthday because I ain't got no friends apparently. Damn. Alright. No, listen, let's take it, it to the... An Aquarius there was Let's one. take it to the timeline <laughs> for real though. If you have an unconventional way to practice self-care like bundling up like a mummy, I think we can all understand that feeling this morning. <laughs> Let us know using the hashtag AM2. You didn't know when my birthday was.
0: That's his self-care. <laughs> That's his self-care. All right, tweet of the day, you ready? Yeah, let's it, do it comes from Kevin. <laughs> Kevin tweeted, Paddington sits at home watching the Oscar nominations announced, genuinely delighted for all of his friends. Mm. He texts them all congratulations and how excited it is for for them. The forgetful little bear didn't even realize he was eligible for any awards. It doesn't matter though,
1: he's happy. Let's all try to live our life like Paddington.
0: Is this a happy tweet or a sad tweet? No,
1: that's a beautiful Is this the tweet? tragedy
0: of Paddington? No,
1: that is the beauty of Paddington. Paddington 3, he's figured some shit out. You know what I realized? I don't even need it. I don't want a Paddington movie. Like, I want a reality television show where stuff like this happens, where we just fall Paddington around. Paddington just sitting on the couch. Oh my God, I would love it. But listen, coming up, uh, I sit down with Alicia Reiner, who plays Fig on Orange is the New Black. But up next, we are going live from the district. We have to. <laughs> Welcome back. We're going live from the district. Here's a tweet from the president. As the shutdown was going on, Nancy Pelosi asked me to give the State of the Union address. I agreed. She then changed her mind because of the shutdown, suggesting a later date. This is her prerogative. I will do the address when the shutdown is over. It's her prerogative. Joining us now to talk about the shitty,
0: shitty, I mean funky, just really vile, state of our union, is BuzzFeed News politics reporter Nidhi Prakash. Nidhi, good morning. Hello, good morning. Right, it's just, we have to say good morning because it's a part of our contract. Well, Nidhi, Trump's Uh statement uh, came at the end of a really long, protracted, kind of funny to watch uh, back and forth yesterday. What exactly happened and where did we end?
5: Oh my God, so this has been going on for more than a week now. And it started with uh, obviously with Pelosi writing to Trump and saying that, you know, this is not, uh, doing the State of the Union in the House is not something that she was going to go along with as long as the shutdown is going on. There's been a lot of back and forth between the two of them since then, but I will say that as of this time, yesterday, 24 hours ago, Trump was intent on still doing it anyway, whether that was somewhere on the Hill, wherever that was going to be, if he wasn't allowed on the House floor, um, or if he was going to do it somewhere else. And I mean, at that point, it seemed like he might just do it at the White House, to be honest, as like a show of power. Um, but where we've landed after a few more back and forths yesterday is that he's. Basically backed down and said that he will put it off until after the shutdown ends if and when that ever happens.
1: And a lot of that back and forth happened like on Twitter with like screenshots but not screenshots like letter shots. like oh that's pictures. I, okay. pictures of letters, which I thought was uh, thats That's, what that's was just happening. the new way to do it. That's the new way to communicate, apparently. Okay. But Nitty, is oh, it fair aggressive to
5: aggressive letters?
1: yep. it's <laughs> just passive aggressive letters back and forth. Is it fair to say Trump blinked?
5: I think that's fair to say in this case, definitely, yes, that uh, in this back and forth, in this battle, that Pelosi's definitely come out on top.
0: She's definitely come out on top. And listen, shout out to everyone who was shading Pelosi and just saying she was inept and that there was no future for her because it feels like, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, people's perception of Nancy Pelosi as a formidable political figure has changed.
5: Oh, yeah. It feels like a world away when everyone was kind of jumping on that bandwagon. And, like, I remember that certainly in the lead up to the midterms that one Republican uh, theme that kept coming up was that Pelosi was going to lose the elections for the Democrats, that she was uh, an inept leader, that she wasn't going to be able to stand up to Trump, that kind of thing.
1: All right. Well, Nitty, it is, of course, day 34 of the shutdown. Roll Call's Niels Lesniewski tweeted... I don't quite understand why federal workers are needing to go to food banks, says Secretary Wilbur Ross on CNBC. That bastard. That, I feel like the theme of the show a bit today is... Kill everybody? Oh, eat the rich. Eat the rich. Yes. (laughs) All right. So where does Congress stand today, day 34, on the shutdown? Mm.
5: I mean, honestly, we uh not quite at square one, but pretty close to square one. There's not a lot of progress. They're not moving in any kind of, you know, with any kind of hurry towards a conclusion here. There are a couple of bills being introduced introduced in the Senate tonight that will be voted on. Um, Even if those pass, the House is out tomorrow. So what we have on our hands is at least another delay until next week.
0: Okay, and uh, Wilbur Ross, that's 800,000 people uh, who are impacted by this shutdown. You are going to be covering a protest on the Hill today, Nitty, Um Who's going to be there? What are they talking about?
5: So basically, uh, this started yesterday and federal workers and then a lot of other groups that are supporting them as well went up to the Hill and they're just kind of doing a sit in in the Hart building uh, just to kind of make their presence felt. And they've said that they're going to be there every day until the shutdown ends. Uh, it's, you know, I think just one way of kind of making their voices heard, being very visible as there's very little action coming out of the Hill.
0: Right. Well, our thoughts are with them. Uh, Here's a tweet from Chris Geithner. No Michael Cohen congressional testimony for now, his lawyer Lanny Davis says, citing ongoing threats um, from President Trump and his lawyer Rudy Giuliani. Um, Nitty, we want the tea on this. What exactly do we know about these threats?
5: So the threats that they're referring to are basically there's nothing that they've brought up beyond the public statements that Trump has made. Like he's tweeted, he's referred to various members of Cohen's family, and he said sort of vague things like they should look into his father-in-law, things along those lines. Okay.
0: All right. And again, he was expected to be uh, on Capitol Hill on February 7th. Can the House subpoena him now? Could they force him to show up?
5: So it's a possibility, but the head of the House Oversight Committee, Elijah Cummings, has uh, not gone as far as to say that he will be subpoenaed. Um, The latest statement from Cummings was basically just that he still expects Cohen to testify one way or another, and that they're still working with his lawyers to figure out when that can be.
1: Figuring out when that will be. Well, we'll be watching then. Thank you, Nitty, of course, for joining us this morning.
5: Thank you so much. Up next, I sit down with Star
1: of Orange's The New Black and the new movie Egg, Alicia Reiner. Stay tuned. Welcome back. I'm joined by Alicia Reiner. She plays Natalie Figu- uh, Figueroa. I'm sorry. You did just say fig. I know, You're but fine. I it makes You're me nervous. Me, I watched every single episode, and I'm scared of you.
4: Don't be... Hey if you watch season six you've learned like uh, you don't have to be it's, it's, we've seen a little soft there's a little
1: there's a little softness She's it's, it's Fig girl. I'll go with Fig yeah
4: go with Fig Fig
1: on Orange is the New Black and her new film is called Egg good morning how good are morning. you good
4: morning great how are you good
1: you do seem very sweet I will say that you've been you've been calming me it's, down it's and I appreciate that acting, you know? it's, it's acting yeah, it's what that's, we do that's, that's not actually like, who you are as a person <laughs> because
4: here's the thing if they hire the bitch to play the bitch then you just have a bitch on set all the time and that's <laughs> Not fun, right?
1: <laughs> and that's not enjoyable. That really makes me feel better about the movie Egg 2, which you yeah. star in and produce. Yeah. And there's a lot. Let's let's take a quick look.
4: Well, she's the mother. What are you? I don't know. I haven't put a label on it. That, that's the most interesting part about it. I get to create the role. Fun. <sighs> I'm just not into being hormonally brainwashed into this unhealthy attachment that women have with their babies. Unhealthy attachment.
1: It's not unhealthy.
4: A child needs this. And it's not an attachment, it's a
1: connection. Okay, so this is about spouses and parents. What drew you to this story?
4: Well, I first read it years ago. David and I, my husband, did a reading of it. And people say things that Everybody's thinking, and nobody ever says. And I loved that. And then we read it again, and 10 years later, no one was saying it still. Mm-hmm. And we said, oh my God, we have to talk about this. Mm-hmm. There are so many issues about what it means to be a parent. Not just a mother, but a parent. Mm-hmm. And how art and commerce intersect, and how parenthood and career intersect. And um, it's fun it's it's That's wild to hear that yeah. it had been
1: a project for so long you mentioned your husband david allen bashe mm-hmm. who you work with on this what was it like yeah. working with him
4: it was horrible he's really he's <laughs> a nightmare sorry honey I'm um, here no.
1: first sorry <laughs> big conversation tonight
4: no it was a joy we love working together mm-hmm. um in the movie we're not the best of friends um so it's it's really fun, like, sort of letting that out. Well, um, I, I, what's that enjoy? Talk a little bit about it. Because you you've got to be really actually, mean to him. So when you watch it, if, if you actually get the DVD, there's some outtakes and... We have so much trouble being mean to each other, and we're like, we do this one scene where we're like, you know, and then we both crack up. There are so many times we couldn't do it; it was pretty cute.
1: Like once the camera stops, you like run over, give him a hug. Hey, I didn't mean it. It's okay.
4: And, and sometimes I'd be like, yeah, go over there, go in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't deal with you right now.
1: I don't want to look. at character. I don't, 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 don't want to yeah. look at you right now. Listen, you responded to a tweet. We're going to bring it up uh, right now from Zoe Kazan. Do not ask women about having children, and you. You said, yes, and told them to go see Egg. So why do you think people find it still okay to ask women this very personal question?
4: I have no idea, Zoe, I hope you come see the movie and that Vogue writer. I think it's so important that we give everyone on this planet the integrity of their own choice about parenthood and everything. Mm-hmm. And my favorite thing about this movie is Christina and I are women who have really different truths and we lovingly agree to disagree and not mess with each other's truth. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And that is everything in this moment. Mm -hmm. To breathe and listen and say like, you have your truth, I have mine, and I respect that, Mm -hmm. is Everything
1: And it's a, it's such a complicated part of life. So there are so many truths around it. I was just wondering if you could do like maybe like a straight-to-camera. Because a lot of people, I see it all the time. And listen, I have a fiancé. We don't have a kid. We're not planning on it right now. And she gets asked it all the time. All the time. So maybe it'd be a say, like, don't ask women
4: if they're having a kid or not. Don't ask women. <laughs> There's actually a really good comedy routine okay. that Masood does where she's like, if a woman is pregnant or has children, she will tell you. <laughs> you know, like a- anyone who's interested in kids uh-huh. will tell you immediately. Yep, yep, yep. You'll get the clues. Wait. the clues Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it also it's disrespectful to women you know margot robbie was just there was a whole twitter storm about that Mm -hmm. because she you know she's like ask me more it's the same as like your clothes Mm -hmm. ask me more ask about what i'm working on Mm -hmm. um is my only value as a parent right and I think it's really important that we value motherhood because it's a spectacular thing. And I love being a mother, but we also value Women, regardless of their choice around that.
1: Regardless of their choice around that. And, and the art they're creating, or the work that they're doing, or the ways that they are being in the world.
4: And I don't want to ruin the movie for anyone, but, you know, people make different choices. And mm-hmm. watch the movie, and tweet me, and tell me what you think about yeah, it. And t- yeah, and talk
1: about those yeah, choices. Absolutely. We
4: made this movie to talk about these choices. Yeah.
1: So, I, yeah. I love that. That's what we call a little call to action. You just yeah. did it organically, yeah. and, I, we, and I loved it. You at it
4: like a little we can have an after this BuzzFeed Twitter party about yeah. what you thought about a it little yeah. A little Kiki. A little Kiki. Absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. You know, Anna Camp plays Kiki in the movie. Boom. Yeah. It's a
1: tie-in. It's synergy. It it's, all, it's all working. I do want to talk about Orange yeah, is the please. New because I am such a big fan. Um, Fig. When you first discovered that character, was there anything like, did you have to dig deep for that, or or were you like, oh, this is going to be fun?
4: I was first, I first auditioned for Alex. Really? And then, you know, I auditioned to play her best friend, and and then they offered me, and it was two lines to start. Um, And I did uh, so much research, and I went to a prison, and I, like, figured out who I wanted this human to be. Mm -hmm. And then they just dove in and wrote into it, and it's been, I mean... Like, the whole thing with Caputo, I had no idea. Like really? That, oh, my God. But was that, oh this is God. kind of
1: built around you when you showed up to play this character. I, they I expanded think, the character. I That's think
4: incredible. our writers are brilliant. Like, brilliant. Genji's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Every woman, and the men, too. Brian, we love you. Um, <laughs> uh, every, you know, Tammy and Carolina, and everyone is so brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've, and all of the past, like I want to name everybody right now, but um, it's a spectacular, it's a spectacular show. And it's, it's a an,
1: spectacular thing to have been a part of.
4: It's very, it's a gift to an actor to have seven years to breathe into a character. Mm. And when they give you the journey, I. Fig has had a journey. Yeah. And And sometimes that happens and sometimes that doesn't. Like, sometimes they have to stay the same course. No,
1: but it has changed and grown and it's been so incredible. to Watch, and the final season is coming up, season seven.
4: Season seven blew my mind when I started reading it. Really? um, I've burst out into tears reading many episodes, so I think it's worth it's going to be worth tuning in. I'm
1: so happy to hear that there's going to be this definitive ending no, on what was special. an incredible cultural moment. So yeah. thank you so much. Thank I really appreciate it. Thank you. Such a joy. And I just got to mention the dress. Um, fabulous. Thank, thank, you. thank you for joining us. Egg is available now to rent on Amazon. Uh, sorry, Amazon, iTunes, and on demand. Up next, Stephanie is telling us how being part of a pyramid scheme is bad for your relationships.
4: Which, I just imagine. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty pretty bad.
6: Alexis tweeted, thought I made a new friend, but it was just an MLM scheme. We have all been there. Well, Alexis, you are not alone. Laura Richards from the Washington Post wrote how MLMs are hurting female friendships. And she joins me now. Hi, Laura. How are you? Hi, Stephanie. I'm good. How are you? Great. I have not been solicited for an MLM scheme yet today, so I'm feeling fabulous. day, then. Yeah. So for those of us who may be unfamiliar with what exactly an MLM scheme is, can you give a really basic synopsis?
7: Sure. And I don't want to call them schemes necessarily. So MLM stands for multi-level marketing. And these are companies that typically sell product. They sometimes sell services. But what's different about them from a standard company is most of the companies they're not employees they're not salaried workers they have some salaried workers in their home offices but they rely on a vast network of distributors and salespeople to sell whatever the service or product is the thing that causes some there's a gray area is the recruitment of other people. And that's where things get a little dicey. And that's why they're often referred to as pyramid schemes, because the focus isn't just on selling the product. It's bringing in other recruits to sell under you, and then you take a cut of their sale. And that's how people are resorting to certain tactics that are causing strife.
6: You noted in your piece that it's not like mlms are new right we've all heard of avon there was tupperware parties back in the day but social media i think we can all say has caused them to explode it seems like there's a new one every single day how exactly do you think they're hurting female friendships
7: well there's such a pressure to sell and to recruit other people so in order to make any real money you need to not only sell the product yourself as an upline, that's what you're called when you're brought into um, the MLM, you need to form a vast network of downline individuals. So each person you bring in to sell under you, you get a cut of their sale. So the further down on the pyramid that you get, so if you're at the base, you're statistically not going to make that much money. So I think what's happening is with, you know, social media is king and the pressure to sell is very real. So some people or a lot of people are resorting to these tactics where it's quite deceptive, where I mentioned in the article, someone will reach out to you and say, hey, you know, like your old college roommate, we haven't seen each other in forever. And, you know, I want to get caught up in your life. So of course you want to get together with that person. And then when you arrive at you know, at the coffee or whatever, they're really there to sell you something. And that's what's happening a lot. And that's why I wanted to write about this. Obviously, friendships, obviously, because, you know, no one wants to be deceived in that way.
6: Obviously, if you're going to meet up with someone that maybe you haven't seen in a while or you think is a new friend and you yes. find out all they want to do is really sell you something, that's definitely going to impact how you view the person, how you view the friendship. One of the most interesting things about this phenomenon is it is, I would say, overwhelmingly targeted at women. Why do you think yeah. that is?
7: Well, it's women and a lot of times it's mothers. And I'm a mother. I have four kids. It's very isolating when you're a mom, especially when your kids are small. And a lot of times, you know, childcare is expensive. So women are choosing to be at home and... They're feeling lonely. They're feeling vulnerable. Um, there's a whole host of reasons why, but that's typically what I've found during the research of this piece.
6: Well, I definitely could talk about this for an hour. I'm so fascinated uh, by the psyche behind this, but we have to leave it there, Laura. Thank you so Laura. much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Stephanie. I appreciate it. In Twitter we want to hear from you. Have you ever been a part of an MLM? Have you been solicited for an MLM? Has a friend of yours? What is your experience with this? I feel like it affects every single person that is watching. it. something that's so pervasive in our culture. Let us know. Up next, Isaac and Saeed are back to read your tweets.
0: Hey, this is The Sit Down, and I'm here with actor Ryan Eggold, star of the Oscar-nominated film Black Klansman, of course, and the NBC drama New Amsterdam. Hello. Hey. Congratulations. Going, man? Thanks good for having me. It's you. nice to be here. It's good to have you. Um, of course, Black Klansman six Oscar nominations, yeah. pretty cool. So amazing, we, so happy for Spike. Man, does he
8: deserve it. This is
0: incredible. The yeah. first time Spike Lee has gotten an Oscar nomination. Can you believe that? I had to
8: fact check With it because I was of? like... I know, I know. Even for Four Little Black Girls? I know, man. Yeah. I, 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 I grew up on those movies. He's made so many good ones, and uh, it's great to see him uh, finally have this moment. Totally. Well, let's take a look
0: because we actually have a clip of, of his reaction when he found <laughs> out.
8: <laughs> <laughs> that's That's great it's only like you know 30 something great movies in the making no big deal no big deal what was your reaction when you found out oh you know what i was just so happy for everybody and for you know for editing for score for adam for um all these uh for best picture for the writing Mm -hmm. um it's cool i was i'm lucky to be a a part of it and to work with spike he's an amazing artist Mm -hmm. an amazing person and really supportive and spike was cool enough to let me do something really different in this Mm -hmm. movie, you know, from anything I'd done before. And I was really appreciative of that opportunity. And um, it was cool, man. What's it like
0: auditioning to play a Klansman? (laughs) What's the how's that work?
8: Yeah. For Spike Lee. Yeah, Totally. Yeah. 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 What you know, the the funny thing about Spike is like he's so the idea of him is intimidating Mm because of his his body of work. And you walk in and you and and then um, he's he's very disarming and Mm -hmm. he's very cool and he's He's immediately very supportive and, and, and is, is your cheerleader and in your corner mm-hmm. and um, and and great. And uh, yeah, it was funny. I ended up reading for one part and then switching to another. And oh, so okay. the part that I ended up playing was kind of, um, was last minute, like unprepared. Like I'd prepared this one thing. Oh. <laughs> and um, I think Was I it, think a, was it in... another
0: Klansman?
8: Yeah. Okay, because I was like, you were like, I thought I was going to be I one was, of the. <laughs> I was auditioning for JD's role. Okay, And then okay. I decided it was better if JD played it. Okay. But uh, no, I'm teasing. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> <laughs> but um but uh, yeah and so it was it ended up being kind of a cold read situation okay. and um, and it was great. but yeah the, the only thing I in the moment was trying to do was not play him like an idea of a white supremacist or a guy in the KKK, but just play him try to play him like a normal guy mm. which will end up being disturbing or whatever disturbing. it is in the context of what spikes right, right. doing you know yeah,
0: yeah. Um, well th- this is something I was struck when getting ready for this uh, interview. Your, forgive me, uh, your racist face in the movie <laughs> yeah. is very different from your face face? <laughs>
8: yeah, good. I, is I, that... I hope so. Okay. Yeah, you mean, you mean the stash and the no, things I, and the, how uh, yeah, yeah. How did the racist face come together? It was, was it a, method acting? Was it makeup? Yeah, yeah. That's how I normally look, and finally I could just <laughs> do that. This is my fake <laughs> nice face that I pretend all the time. No, it was it was cool. You know, it was um, it was, you know, it was kind of a small town and I would just had watched some documentaries and look at these guys and they had all these different looks. And um, uh, yeah, we got those great um, 70s period mm-hmm. glasses mm-hmm. and the. Um, the wardrobe we had strange like velvet mm-hmm. shirts and. Uh,
0: but was there anything you did with your face? Can you do it
8: now? Oh yeah! No, oh you! Oh you mean yeah. like Can expression? Because I
0: mean you, it's uh.
8: <laughs> it wasn't just the glasses. I, I, I don't know what happened. I blacked out for that whole experience. and woke up and Spike <laughs> was like, "We're done." And I was like, "Great." Um, yeah, no, we just. I, I mean, I had to go to the grocery store uh-huh. with that mustache and weird military cut. And um, what was that like? Uh, people would stare. You know, who's, wow. Who's the creepy guy? Like you were hundred percent. People yeah. thought you were a child molester. Oh, For, sure, for Okay. A good six well, weeks of my life. Yeah.
0: It was like, is he a child molester? Is he a clansman? Yeah. I mean, because what I was really wondering too was, I mean, a lot of things, but also, what was it like playing this character? And as you mentioned, like yeah. part of your thinking was like, he's going to be a real person, and that yeah. is going to be what's right. disturbing. What was it like playing this character in the film *Nods to Charlottesville*? You know, in this political climate.
8: Right. Right. The, I, think, I think what's, um, f- you know, most frightening about a group like that is that it could could be your next door neighbor or mm. it could be um, somebody that, you know, and you wouldn't necessarily, they wouldn't be wearing a sign that says I'm mm-hmm. it, you know, they would just be grabbing their paper and all that. So, so, yeah, you try to play the, the, the sort of banality of that or the mundane, you know, everydayness of that. And then in the context of this, it's um, it's frightening. But, I mean, w- you know, bringing it back to Charlottesville and how it's um, pertinent today, it's... it's, it's uh, so s- sadly relevant, and um, the end of that movie is such a powerhouse; just punches you in the face, yeah. um, reminding you uh, how real it is, and how this stuff affects people, and um, and uh, how pervasive it is, and how uh, you know, I mean, how the president of the United States didn't immediately condemn white supremacy, or yeah. still Good people hasn't. On really, people on you know, both, both sides, sides yeah. yeah, just crazy. So uh, it's important to have those. Conversations, and it's nice. I think when you can do it in a, in the context of a film like this, where there's humor as mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. and you can enjoy it, and it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there is mm-hmm. uh, profound moments as well. And and then that that documentary footage that really. That really lines it uh, mm-hmm. home. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um I was also wondering, you know, obviously language is, yeah. is a part, you know, and, and saying the n-word, saying nigger is a part of the film and right. your role. Yeah. What was that like? Did you have conversations with Spike Lee, right.
8: with your castmates about it? <laughs> yeah, to- <laughs> Topher was joking that, you know, Spike would come up and whisper, like say that and he'd go, Would you say that to everybody? Because I don't want people to think I just came up with that. That's 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 Topher's line, which is so true, but it's it, he would Spike would sometimes even shout things out too, like say, "Yeah." Oh God! But you're, it was such a supportive set because mm-hmm. you're ultimately you're using this language of hate and other things mm-hmm. to tell a story um, that's about overcoming it, right. you know. And so you know, nobody for a second was everybody was on board mm-hmm. with Spike's vision and in support of that and doing it. But yeah, as a as as a, as I hope a decent. Person, I hope I can consider myself that you it takes a moment to shed your in your initial mm-hmm. reaction to a word yeah. like that Because you can't or, or, flinch every time you say it right and yeah. you can't be uncomfortable with it Dang. because this is a guy who has to be deeply comfortable with this language and deeply comfortable <laughs> in this position of, 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 of bigotry you know so you have to shed your initial uh, discomfort with mm-hmm. that and 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 bizarrely you know get comfortable with it if only for this short time between um, action and cut. You know?
0: Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, of course, you also star as a doctor on NBC's drama New Amsterdam, yeah. um, and I have spoken from someone else um, on the show too, and, and I wanted to ask you the same question. Um, how has the show, which really goes into the impact of healthcare yeah. you know, on people and, yeah. and, and the politics when it, it becomes a patient, right. uh, has it impacted how you look at the kind of cultural conversation about healthcare in America?
8: very much so and it's just made me realize how much i have to learn mm. as, as most of us do in terms of how it works how mm-hmm. convoluted the system is right. and how so many people i mean right now not to get all on the soapbox but you know we have this shutdown and um there's people who can't afford um their insulin and you know who are saying well i hope i wake up tomorrow you, right. you know and it's like um it's terrifying but even when the government is uh running there's a lot of uh problems that make health care um, uh, difficult and, and unattainable for uh, a lot of people. And I think Eric, who wrote the book the show is based on, his biggest thing is trying to uh, make it human again and, mm-hmm. and not make it a business, not capitalize on people's uh, health you right. know scares
0: yeah and I, I appreciate that i appreciate that thoughtfulness because it's needed yeah um well something i noticed that you were not on twitter which you know stay free, <laughs>
8: <laughs> stay I'm free I'm i love twitter twitter <laughs> loves me but you know you know what the thing on twitter too is like i know it just it it's it's it seems like it's so much arguing these days okay especially with this is for you? Of the, for me it seems like just so much anger and hate and trolling and people yelling at each uh-huh. other and stuff and there's good stuff on the too you yeah. get your news and there's and yeah, up, i was gonna a ask do you have like an account where like you're not tweeting or anything but maybe you're you're
0: using it to follow news at all Mm-mm. okay no all right.
8: no the only thing i uh, the only thing i'm on is the instagram because it just infused itself into the fabric of our very society and the entertainment <laughs> industry yeah. it's just it's unavoidable
0: yeah. okay All yeah. right. because i i was wondering because also i've noticed people are like up uh, I thought I was nosy.
8: Yeah, yeah. People are
0: like really obsessed with your personal life. Oh yeah. Um, And I was like, is this why he's not on Twitter? So he can just like totally avoid all (laughs) of
8: that. Save everybody the trouble. It's really boring. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes I uh, go to bed at nine p.m. Sometimes I uh, do read a book in bed. No, get (laughs) it. Sometimes it gets crazy. Yeah. I Um, do. Yeah. Sometimes we were cursing earlier. Yeah. I said the f word. I said fudge. He did. I said fudge. (laughs) So. Sometimes I live on the edge. I can't help it.
0: Ryan literally looked at me and said, can I curse? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, good fudge. And I was like, that's your, <laughs> that's your go-to?
8: I feel like we should rectify that. Fuck. Oh, there Let's we just, go. There we go. Now we're Here good. We go. I'm oh. Sorry. I didn't want anyone to think I... You oh, got stand. a bell.
0: You got a bell. Well, oh, well Ryan, thank yeah. you so much for joining That's us. That's a good word to end on.
8: <laughs> this morning. Thank and you, man. we're going
0: to be rooting for Black Klansmen at the <laughs> Me Oscars. Me too, man. For Spike, for everybody. Spike, really exciting. Six yeah. Oscar nominations. It's great for everybody, man. Well cool. overdue. Um, of course, you can watch Black Klansmen over and over again. I'm going to watch yeah. it again tonight. Um, and you can watch Ryan on Tuesday's A New Amsterdam on NBC. And also, tell us using the hashtag AM2DM what you think Dr. Goodwin's like doctor nickname
8: should be. I'm
0: thinking well, Dr. Fuck doesn't really fit.
8: <laughs> that's a, <clears throat> that's a pornographic film that I saw with So It's a different, <laughs> it's a different, different genre. genre. Different, different genre. genre. You know, yeah.
0: you're, you're Oscar nominated but, now.
8: All right. <laughs> up next, Isaac and I are going to read more of your tweets. <laughs> that's okay. so funny.
0: Welcome back. So our theme for the show today has been um, eating the rich. Um,
1: and we asked what side dish, you know, you would order. What would you? You know, man, it's going to be a salad for me. Because I think of the rich, I think literally they're, they're probably, go- it's going to be rich. It's oh, going to be, there's going to be a lot of calories there. I like that. So I'm going to get a side salad. Okay, I like that. What about you?
0: Um, I was going to say Brussels sprouts originally, but then I realized butternut squash. Ooh. I just feel like it, you know, it pairs well with... <laughs> Maybe you know. Maybe like some shaved Brussels sprouts. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm not saying I've <laughs> thought about this a lot. Lisa, this is what you had to say. Not sure uh, the side dish, but I will be drinking their tears. Ooh, on ice with a lemon twist.
1: I, I actually really refreshing. Legitimately want. Like, yeah. I Add like, a little ice from the Swiss Alps. From top. <laughs> like that's where the ice cubes are made. Just of the snow. Michelle yeah. <laughs> <laughs> added sriracha because of seasoning. Uh, sorry, lots of seasoning because the rich are bland. Ooh. Ah, ooh. Very well done. That is a good. Can we drag, also speaking of, we need to drag Wilbur Ross.
0: Wilbur Ross, uh, of course, is a billionaire, millionaire if not a billionaire, I wouldn't be surprised. He is America's current commerce secretary. So this morning on CNBC, he said he doesn't understand why why federal workers, why so many of them are saying they need to go to food banks. Mm. And he said that in the context of, he was like, well, they know they're going to get back pay, Mm. so why don't they get loans? Right. You fucking idiot. If you are the Commerce Secretary of the United States of America and you, one, don't understand the, the implications of the federal shutdown that your president and your administration has enacted, but further, you don't understand how loans impact people and why it's so difficult for many people, particularly the working poor, to get them What the fuck are you doing in your job to say nothing of the fact of what the hell is CNBC doing asking people like that to speak about the shutdown?
1: Trash. And this has been another episode of Said Says A Bunch Of Stuff and I look at him (laughs) while he says it. I don't even want to eat you, (laughs) little Ross. All right. We also asked, sometimes my vent's on my Mm self-care.
0: There's my transition. We asked you about your unconventional self-care method. Have a morning show. Scream about rich people. Helena, this is what you said. Most of my friends and loved ones know that Saturdays are Helena days. To do whatever I choose or not to do. I like that. Or not to do anything at all unless it's an emergency. I don't make or answer calls before 12 or 1 uh, 1 p.m. And if I make plans with them on Saturday, well, I must really love them.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Be
1: in charge of your schedule 1,000%. I like that. I like that very much. Well, listen, guys, it was a tough show. (laughs) We're not going to pretend like it wasn't. But uh, like we said at the top of the show, we're going to stay on that story. We appreciate you tuning in. We will, of course, be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. But first, thank you to our guests Ryan Mack, Adrian Lawrence, Nitty Cash, Alicia Reiner. What a wonderful conversation she was there. Awesome. And the reaction on the timeline was wonderful. Thank you all for sharing your thoughts. Do not ask people if they are pregnant or they are getting kids. Do that. Laura Richards, Stephanie McNeil, and of course, Ryan Eggle. He was a delight. Dr. Fuck. Dr. Fuck. He yeah, was so great. All right, friends, uh, if you can believe it, it's not Friday. So
0: we will be back here tomorrow talking about whatever we need to talk about. See you at 10 a.m. Enjoy your day as best you can. Is tomorrow Friday? Yes.